0: Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest, and we have a great show today. I've, I've enjoyed this man's music throughout my life, and I actually saw him at the Grit Theater in L.A. a few years ago, He was, and I remember he was wearing, a, if I am right, a red suit, and he had such a great set, and he looked so good in that suit, and my guest is Howard Jones. How you doing, Howard? I'm I'm good, thanks, Steve. How are you? I'm doing well. Yeah, I saw you in LA, and you were just so good live. And it was just, you know, playing the Greek. The Greek is such a beautiful theater because it's outside, yeah. and just people really enjoy it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. I think it's one of the best um, venues in the world. Actually, I, I really, really love that place. I've got a huge stage, and you know, uh, lots of room backstage to have guests and things. It, it works.
0: Now you say it was one of the best places in the world. What are some of your other top places? Because you've played the world, you've played for years, you've played in all different big arenas, small places, everything. Yeah. What are some of your favorite? What are some of your favorite places yeah. that when you're on your schedule? Um, you're like, yes,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I love. I, I earlier in the year we we, um, we went back to Japan. I, I tend to go to Japan once every two years, and I really love visiting and playing gigs there. Um, it's just such an exotic country you know and I, I um australia as well sydney I, I like playing as well that's really um a wonderful place to do gigs but you know I, I mean a gig's a gig and um it's about the audience really you know and you can you can be in a in a um a very humble building but have a have a wonderful experience because the audience is so great
0: now i read growing up you were the oldest of four brothers and you know you all played instruments and then when did you start and was you were your parents musically inclined is that why you follow this this
1: career path um well my uh, my parents are both welsh they speak uh they spoke welsh as their first language and so you know welsh culture at the time certainly was um very much about music and singing and choirs and poetry and performing um and so when we used to visit our relatives it was it was uh you know normal that you would play a piece on the piano or, or sing something or recite poetry that was the culture so we grew up with with quite a he- you know healthy dose of that um and so you know i my they really wanted me to learn the piano so i did that and all my brothers sang and um, my brother martin played bass and played guitar and um, my youngest brother Paul played, um, played drums. Yeah, so it was a kind of band really in waiting.
0: Now, you're playing and when do you decide that you're going to pursue this as a career?
1: Um, well, I mean, I, I, I just always wanted to do music. I didn't really think about anything else apart from doing music. There was no there was never any consideration of doing anything else right from a very early age. I suppose that must be quite unusual, but um, I never, I never wanted to do anything. I, I, you know, I, re- I really thought I'd put all my eggs into one basket and playing piano and loving rock music and pop music. That was all I wanted to do, and it still is.
0: Now, what were some of the pop music and rock music you were listening to as you were growing up? What had an influence on you?
1: Well, I mean... I was a big radio listener because my mum always used to have the radio on in the kitchen. Um, So I listened to a lot of radio. They gave me a transistor radio when I was nine and I used to listen to pirate radio. I couldn't really afford uh, records and stuff for that. Um, So really it was um, mainly stuff from, you know, coming through through the radio. And I, I was influenced by, when I was very young, you know, the the Beatles and the stones and all the sixties bands, you know, the tremolos and, um, uh, Freddie and the, and, and the dreamers and, you know, Cliff Richard and, you know, all those, all those sixties artists. Um, and, and then, you know, in, when the seventies came through, it was like Stevie wonder. And I really got into Keith Emerson from the nut from what the days he was in the nice. And then when he formed ELP and, um, you know, it was a sort of broad, and at the same time, I was learning classical music and the piano. So, a big influence from that.
0: So, you're playing, you're getting your career going. Now, at one point, you incorporated a mime in your act. How did that all come about? Yeah. And that's and fascinating when I read it. I was like, this is cool because <laughs> you're not used to that. And, you know, because, you know, in here in New York, and, you know, I you see street performers, yeah. but how did that come about? Because that's very cool.
1: Well, if you think that it was, it was the early. It was the early 80s and um, suddenly there was all these amazing new instruments actually being available in, in music stores like drum machines and, um, you know, Jupiter 8 keyboards. And, and I had this idea to sort to do something different because I, I thought that's what artists were supposed to do. I thought they were supposed to do strike out on their own and be individuals. I mean, call me old-fashioned, but um, that's what I thought you're supposed to do. So... Um, I I, I put this one man electronic uh, rig together and um, there was a guy who used to come to the shows that I was doing at the time uh, who was a friend and he used to dance in the audience and he was so good that I I was totally distracted from the stage and I thought I need need to bring him up here on stage which he agreed to and we um, started then creating these characters that went along with the songs I was writing and uh, it was like a sort of alternative uh, performance art, you know, and, and that really fitted into my, um, you know, my plan of doing something different and getting noticed and, and striking out on your own, taking some risks, you know, and and, uh, people, people loved it.
0: Now, what was your writing style back then? You were younger. What kind of music were you trying to write? Did you have a, a certain path you thought of, or were you just, when something came to your mind, you did it? Because, you, as you said, it was a new beginning of different instruments. It was a, it was a new, because I'm a big 80s yeah. music fan. It was something that, I mean, I'm 52, and we mm. weren't used to yeah. that, and it was an amazing sound. What was your thought when you would start writing a song, just to go avant-garde, or just to go what was in your mind?
1: Well, you know, I, I had this... Um, this array of keyboards and drum machines around me and i i wrote music that that was appropriate for that because i was going out playing live like two or three times a week so it was all about the live thing so what can i what can i reproduce um out there on the stage um with with this gear and it was all it was all based around the limitations and the possibilities of of that of that equipment so um it, it was just i was just having fun with it you know and it, i was having fun with making these new sounds and you know playing with s- s- short sequences and um yeah so you know it kind of the the writing came from that it, i didn't sit down at the piano and do it which was my main instrument i thought well i'm gonna write in a different way
0: now how were the crowd were you were you a draw in the early years Were people coming out to see you when you're doing this and with the mime and did you get a following? Ooh. Cause that sounds like something that could get a cult following cause it's something
1: different. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it very quickly um, became that I mean, I was playing local pubs uh, and clubs and it very quickly, uh, you know, got a following of, of really quite fanatical people and we had to arrange coach trips, you know, to take people to other gigs when I was playing up in London and um, I think the most coaches we had was six one time so talk about bringing your audience with you Um, but the people just just loved um, the idea that this was something new and different and they wanted to get on board with it you know early on and I, I was really supported well by these amazing fans who who would, you know, travel up to London and any gigs I was doing, they'd be there, you know, and it was amazing.
0: Now, I read, I don't know if it's true, because sometimes what you read on those truths, but the Marquee Club, you you booked it yeah. and you invited record labels. And what made you think that's a brilliant idea? What made you think to do that?
1: Um, well, it was, it, you know, the only way to really progress at that time, it's different now, but in the 80s, you had to get a, a, a major label if you wanted to make records and be on the radio and be on TV and, and get going. So we realized that, you know, we have to do that. We, we, we did a residency at the Marquee every Monday night for a month. And all the record companies, all the publishers came down and they all rejected it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but, I mean, I, I did some great gigs and all my followers, they all came up to London, you know, to see me. But nobody um, from the record companies got it. Um, and so uh, I just had to keep going and eventually one guy a very influential record company guy called Paul Conroy understood what i was trying to do and that and the potential of it and so and i got signed to warner brothers which is like you know an amazing to happen um and so it just took
0: off from there so they signed you and now are they saying we're gonna put you in the studio now or we're gonna put you on the road and play your music what is from what is the path from when you get signed especially because warner brothers is such a big label what is the path i've heard some musicians tell, told me that they didn't have them tour they didn't have them go out some people said they just said man us hit the road even you know as we just as soon as we finished the album what was your process once you got signed how long until your album came out
1: uh, it was it was really quick. Um, I mean, their their, their role was um, putting me together with the right producing, uh, you know, the right producer for me, and they really got that right um, because that wasn't something that I knew about. I didn't really know how to make records. I'd done demos. I, I, I was good at writing songs and arranging them, but I I didn't know how to make records. So they put me with um, Rupert Hine, who became my sort of mentor. Uh, showed me how to make records and was an absolutely brilliant producer and he was very um, he was very familiar with, with the new technology and he'd been experimenting himself on his own records that he's made and and so he introduced me to sampling and um, lo- you know all, all kinds of new techniques in the studio using automated mixing desks and everything so it was the perfect match, really, and we made the first album in six weeks and it was out, you know, um, well, the first single was out while whilst we were making the record. So um, as soon as the record was done, I, w- I, had, I was touring. I've always uh, toured uh, all the time. It's a big part of what I do. So, yeah, um yeah, that's the story, really.
0: Isn't it a little pressureful for you when you sit there and there's a single already out and your record's not done? Is it? Do you sit there? What goes in your
1: mind? Because you're probably thinking, um,
0: oh my God, I'm, I'm, there's a single out, but I'm not done my album yet.
1: You know, um, it was, it was the, the complete opposite because the single was roaring up the charts. And so everyone was so excited about that that we kind of knew that we would get some attention for whatever we were doing. And um, so it just added this excitement and energy to making the record. And you know when it did come out, it was um, you know went to number one, and and the second single went to number two. And you know it it, 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 all, it was it was very fortunate the way it went.
0: Now everything 's you know you' said whether number one and number two that 's in the u k when do you when do they get you to the states what 's your process to get over to the states where you hit it? you know people enjoyed your music. When did that start
1: well well i I had an agenda of my own with that because i 'd lived um, in in North America as a kid I, I was three years in Canada and so I had been exposed to North American culture so for me, it was so important to have success in america so whilst you know we were working away in you know in the uk we we were booking club tours in america and visiting radio stations there was a lot of background work that you know was going on because i think you know you have to be determined if you want to be successful in america and we we did you know we did the hard slog doing the tiny clubs and and then going up to theatres and you know visiting thousands of radio stations and um and it and it and it really did um you know it really did work for me and uh, so yeah so i ended up being more successful in america than i did in the uk
0: now as you came to america mtv was popping up what was your experience on some of your videos were they uh did you have fun doing them or what was the
1: yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean because i mean visual stuff had always been a big you know going back to my one-man show with jed the Mime. We we also had um, TVs on stage with um, originally created uh, videos that we we uh, I had friends make for me, so that was already part of our thinking. So um, you know, making videos was just totally natural. So and I had loads of ideas for it, and I um, loved working with the directors. And he was we're so lucky because it was the birth of MTV and. They were so eager to show anything that you know that anyone anyone was doing really, especially stuff um, from the UK. So it was a perfect time, really.
0: Why do you think that America took hold of you? Because some bands, like you know, there's bands that have come over, like Echo and the Bunny Men. I love them, but they mm-hmm. never really hit it big in America. They did okay, but not like your level. What do you mm-hmm. think made you different to America? Why do you think fans embraced you?
1: I. I mean, it's it's. I, I can only have an opinion on it. I I think that for, for a start, it, it, well, it's it is obviously a combination. There was the the videos with the you know the 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 fashion um, and the look of them, and uh, there was the the music that was very positive and upbeat and and was very much about you know don't be afraid to go for the things that you really think you should be doing. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do stuff and also uh, about, you know, everyone's equal here. You know, there's no, there's no people who've, who've, who, who, who you, you should think are any better than you. You, you whoever you are, you're, you know, you're great. So that message was running through the songs. Um, and then you know there 's a lot of melody in my in my stuff and it's it's it, you know it 's radio friendly because I really wanted to be on the radio. a lot of bands thought it was uncool to be on the radio. I absolutely wanted to be on the radio because that 's where I grew up with and um, so I think it 's a combination of all those things and also being out there and doing it you know doing the gigs and believing that it could work um i think it's just
0: a combination of all those things now the uplifting lyrics where did they come from was that a mindset you always had were you just a very po- i know you turned to buddha you went you became a buddhist yeah. later mm. but mm. were you were just, that just something when you sat down to write once again you know when you the music's different when you did your lyrics did you mm. say you wanted to make a positive message
1: it was a very conscious thing yeah because i you know, a lot of the music around at the time when I was emerging, you know, beginning the eighties, was quite doomy and gloomy, and a lot of you know young men in in, in long black coats. And you know, I, I, mean, I mean, there's totally a place for that. And you know, I mean, life, you know, has misery in it. Let's let's be you know clear about that. But I thought, well, you know, there's enough doom and gloom going on out there that I wanted to. Make music that could, you know, could help when things weren't going so well, and you you needed a bit of a boost and a bit of a lift. And I, as a sort of quite um, introspective young person, was very familiar with cynicism within myself. You know, I knew the nature of that, and I didn't want to be putting that out, you know, that message out in my music. I wanted it to be a bit of a, a bit of relief. For people to to you know give them a boost when they when they wanted to. Of course, this didn't go this all didn't go down very well with the with the very cool um, music press, you know, because they always like bands that you know are you know uh, are on the dark side, and you know. And so I had to fight against that, but you know, I knew I knew I would have to deal with that. So it wasn't you know didn't come as a surprise to me. Is so... That- um,
0: yeah. Isn't that so irritating? It's like you're doing something good. You know, you're being something nice. Like, we all need something. You know, I, when I was in college, you know, we all loved a positive message. Half of us are scared crapless because we're away from yeah. our families, and we want to hear something good. We don't want to sit there yeah. and listen to a song and start crying, you know, go to the <laughs> pub, have a beer, we get home. We're like, oh, yeah. we want to hear something good. And it's so funny. It's always the critics that don't embrace it. It's not the people. Yeah. The people love your music. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. you, you,
1: you knew that was going to happen, but you must still want
0: to bang your head against the wall.
1: Well, um, you know, I, I, I think, well, from, from this perspective now, I, I realise that it, it, it did make me um, a, a stronger person, and it really forged my character um, in a way, because I, I did take a hammering from lots of different directions. And, and, and you, you know, you, you have to be, you'd have to develop a strong core, and I don't know if I would have developed it Unless I'd had that kind of reaction, you know, I, and I had to stick to my guns and I, I had to take it on the chin. And, you know, it, it, it really forged my character. So I, I'm kind of grateful to them in a way.
0: Now, you're sitting there and the album's doing well. And now mm. as you're getting more popular. How does that affect you because you're sitting there i'm sure your venues are changing and you also have the pressure of doing another studio album how does someone you know deal with that kind of it's got to be pressure
1: and it's also got to be exciting yeah it was i mean it it was pressure because i had nothing for the second album all the good stuff that i'd been working on live that was all the first album and i was left um incredibly busy because i was touring i was doing promotion, everywhere, doing TV's, flying around the world. There was just no time to even think hardly about music. So I worked out, the only way I could do it was to have a, a little um, studio rig with me on, on tour. And my, you know, amazing um, tour guys would set up this little studio in my dressing room, every gig that I did. So I was able to gradually, um, you know, build up a few tracks and, and, um you know that's that was the only way i could i could do it because there was no time to really you know do it anywhere else so so and 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 in a way as you say it created a very exciting album and things like you know things can only get better came out of that i come off stage and i'd be buzzing with the energy of doing a show and then i would have the studio there and i you know i could um get some of that energy coming out of the you know the new song. So it, 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 it kind of worked.
0: Now I've had many guests who have played and I grew up near Philadelphia and I live near Philadelphia now. I had many guests who played Live Aid in Philly. You played in mm-hmm. Wembley. How did that come about and what was that like to be first of all, you know, that was before we had simulcast. You know that was like that was a big yeah. thing. How did, did they yeah. approach you and what was that experience like?
1: Um well the story is that I'd missed out on Band Aid because I wasn't—I don't know—vigilant enough to. I heard about it, but I wasn't in the sort of inner loop of people who were. You know, I absolutely should have been part of that because I I was from that generation and I was, you know, having hits on at the time um, all over the place. And I I really should, and I was so—I was upset that I wasn't part of it because I, I totally believed in what. You know Geldof from Midwood. were are trying to do so. When I heard about Live Aid, I actually m- made my manager get in. You know, in um, in touch with them um, and say, "Look, Howard absolutely is, is is going to do this. You know, he he's he's part. He wants to be part of Live Aid, whatever it takes." And you know, Geldof was very. Um, you know, practical about things, he said, well, you know, anybody who wants to be part of this has to have sold a million albums in the last six months. And, and I, you know, I, I, I I've done that, you know, and so, um, I was on tour in America, but we flew back to, to London, um, and left the band in, in America. I, I decided to, you know, I do it solo and, um, just did one song and, um, and it was just amazing. So, you know, so I really, was able to, to contribute and and be part of it and and uh, you know sometimes you you want um, it's not just going to happen otherwise.
0: Now you're getting bigger and now you as you said your early shows were very different you know you had the mime and stuff like that as you're starting to play bigger venues now you're playing big venues in the states. How yeah. did your stage show expand and what did you want to present? Because the bottom line is. You're a visual and an artistic guy. What did you want to convey to the audiences? Because American audiences are always looking for something different. Because you know, we grew up listening to Leonard Skinner, Freeberg. Yeah, that's our thing. What did you want to convey?
1: (laughs) No, well, um, you know, I wanted it to have um, a combination of the electronic elements that I I, I was known for, and but also great live playing, and I think that's what we achieved. And the the Dream into Action band was uh quite big i mean for, for about seven of us on stage and i i had um amazing um backing singers called aphrodisiac and they were the coolest girls ever and they agreed to do the tour with me and they were wonderful so they added so much to the show um and then i had my brother um playing uh, on keyboards with me and trevor who was playing this um you know, stand-up electronic kit. So we were we were presenting new sounds and new ways of doing things, but it, it kind of looked a bit like a conventional band, but it was using all the all the new technology that was that we were using in the studio and you know that that was just coming out.
0: Now you're sitting there and you you know it's you start in the U.S. You start playing outdoors and stuff like that. What is that like as a performer when you are visual? You know, I used to do stand-up comedy, and we always said playing yeah. into a club. Impact of you know 150 people is so much better than playing to 2500 people because it's much yeah. more intimate what was your experience with when you would play outside trying to convey your show and your
1: vision well i i, I really I, I really enjoyed you know playing the playing the big venues because it's just so many people uh, the excitement and uh, the energy that that creates is just phenomenal and when they start singing back to you you know it's like it's it's a fantastic experience i mean i love to play any size gig honestly i'm happy to play to you know a couple of hundred people in a small room as well as really big places i i love i love both but i, I have no problem <laughs> you know playing to uh, you know you know big houses with you know uh, lots of enthusiastic people it was just such good fun
0: now you're playing your career you played amnesty international your career career's going great when did you uh, incorporate buddhism in your life and and what what was the factor that brought that into your life
1: yeah well i started practicing buddhism in 1993 and I, i'd always been in, interested in 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 you know philosophical things i, I I always had a seeking spirit about how do you try and live your life so that it's you know you don't do anybody any harm and you create value and and you you know you you're not angry all the time and you're you know you're sort of in a in a in a in a kind of decent state of mind and I came across um, as soon as I came across um, you know Nichiren Buddhism I realised that it just ticked all the boxes of things that i sort of instinctively felt was right and having a practice of chanting every day did me so much good because it, it sort of strengthened my inner core if you like you know this um my so so that i could be um you know much more when things go wrong um you don't get destroyed by it you know you don't go to a have a fit of Anger or, or, or a drop, you know. It, it's like, all oh, right, okay, so this has happened, right? How can I create value from this? And it sort of retrained me to 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 think in a in a very different way, um, and which has really benefited me and and made me a more um, sort of a calmer person, but but also very passionate about pursuing, you know, what's right. You know, it's 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 not a kind of Buddhism to me is not being like sedated. It's it's about being more alive, so that you, you know, you can really live to your full potential and and treat other people well. You know, respect them and care for them, and uh, you know, which takes effort. You know, to do that. So that's why having a spiritual practice has really really helped me.
0: And I bet the critics don't like Buddhism. No, I'm
1: joking.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Sure um, so you're sitting there. Your your career's going great. You're playing well, and eventually your contract with Warner Brother ends. The music climate is changing. You still have yeah. fans. What does someone do when that happens? And it seems like you've, you've had a positive attitude. You already got crap mm-hmm. from the press. You're you're you know you're you're a smart mm-hmm. guy. What do you do when your contract ends with Warner Brothers? What do you decide which way you're going to foray to follow your mm-hmm. your your dreams?
1: Yeah. Well, well my my initial response was i was very very i was deeply um saddened that they didn't want to continue with me because i i i mean you know i had so much more to give and they really should have stuck with me and supported me you know right through my life that's what i felt um but it it wasn't the case um it was the beginning of short term thinking uh, for for the record industry and it coincided with the internet exploding so I, I i had i had six weeks of being very very depressed and then suddenly realized that it was really now up to me to create the next part of my future and so i decided to form my own label make a record book a tour and and just take responsibility for my own uh, career and um direction and it was the best thing that i've ever done um and really um You know, and I think it inspired, helped to inspire people to do a similar thing.
0: You know, well, it was was before its time. You making your own record because you know now everyone can do it with crowdfunding. But how did you decide to make your own record? Did you say, okay, I'm going to raise money, I'm going to finance myself, and then how do you go about booking your own tour? Because I'm sure before then, people were doing all this stuff for
1: you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I um I had invested in a, in, in a studio because I I I wanted to be able to make music um you know at home in in in, in you know my studio, so I I I, I had a studio there. I I just needed to um you know pay people to help me make the record, um and it wasn't it wasn't uh, fortunately you know I put my money into that so. Um, so yeah, I was I, I I was all I was very excited. I I mean about about the tour. I mean you know I did get I didn't get on the phone myself, but I I said I, you know I got I asked people to book the tour for me and 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 instigated it. That's what I mean, really. You know that I, I still wanted to work with other people, but now the difference was that I was going to be driving it. You know I was I was going to be driving and making, um, in making the decisions and seeing it through. Um, Which you know before that you kind of left it up to other people to do a big part of that But now there was no room for that. You've got to take take it on yourself And if things don't happen, there's only one person to blame. It's you, you know, so That's got to be a good thing in the long run because it makes you You know It makes you responsible
0: Now, how did you you find people that you were going to songwrite for? I know you did songwriting for other people. Did people come up to you, or did I mean, how did that happen that you would write for other people? And was it hard to write for other people? Because I would think when you write for other people, you might want to keep the song if it's really, really good. You might be
1: like, you know, I sort of want to keep
0: this, but I can't.
1: I've, I've I've not really done you know very much for it. I've just responded to people who've really seeked me out to to you know to write with them or collaborate with them. And I, I, I if they if I've been impressed with their their determination then I I've I responded, you know, and um, so I haven't made, you know, because I'm it's, there's not enough time for me. I, you know, I need I'd probably do like 10 songs a year is the most that I can do, you know, manage because it takes so long to write uh, for me and to get it right. So. I don't really have a lot of time to 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 work to work with other people, but, but you know when I have, it's been fun. I, it, you know, it's a different way of thinking. You're thinking about what's going to be good for them, what's what's going to work for their voice, and what's going to work for for what they want to say. So um, it's a very you know it's a very different set of thinking. Whereas when you're doing your own songs, it's what you are feeling at the time, what you want to express, and um, what you want to say.
0: Now, as your career is going on. You started off, you know, with the new instruments and very visual and stuff like that. How is it, are you getting excited as technology starts changing? Because you think from when we were, you know, from 83, I mean, I, I went to my old college last weekend. I hadn't been there since 88. And I remember there was like 10 computers when I graduated. And I walked down the hall yeah. and there was like seven. I mean, as someone who's yeah. your your view and your you know, you're before your time a little bit, how are you... Gradually moving into technology, and were you? How are you? I'm sure you embraced it. How are your steps because computers and stuff was sort of scary in the beginning,
1: yeah? Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I have always had this philosophy that I want to be a man of my time, if you know what I mean. So, I, and, I, and that's that's kind of helped me to make decisions, computers are neither good nor bad it just depends what you're going to do with them you know it's up to us what we do with them There, there, there's there's no reason to be afraid it's like being afraid of a um of a knife you know a knife can can cut your bread or can be used as a weapon you know it's like how are you going to use it and it's exactly the same with technology i ran up in the early days of people having no understanding of the new of, of the new technology and thinking it was already taking over and that the music I was making was made with being made by machines and you just press a button and it did it well you know obviously everyone knows that that doesn't really happen any you know it, it wasn't the case but uh, so i've I've always uh, been in that position of, of um having to defend use of of new stuff but it's like it's up to you up to us to be creative with it. You know, it, it, it's, it can be used as a great weapon of, um, you know, as a weapon against somebody, or it can be used as a brilliantly creative and caring, uh, de- you know, device. So which one are you going to choose? And it's always been the same with, with human beings and their technological developments right from, you know, the first time people made an ax, you know, so, so, It's just that I've tried to get that idea over, but we're in an exciting time of huge development. So embrace it um, to use it in a good, responsible way and creative way. Um, And that's our choice. We have to decide to do that. Now. All of a
0: sudden in the last few years there's been an explosion of synth-based music and stuff like that and you know you're considered probably of the one of the fathers of that. Mm. What was that like for when you started to hear that come back and I'm sure younger people probably contacted you and you probably got a whole new fan base mm. because you know mm. it was something different that they really haven't heard. Mm. What is that like for an artist when all of a sudden, you know, people are finding your stuff and just really absorbing it? Mm.
1: Well, yeah, it is. It's very exciting, actually. It, um, and with, you know, the whole streaming thing, that's one thing that's happening more because people are stumbling across all findings. They have access to it all. And so they're finding you. Um, um, and it's, 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 you know, it's great. I mean, I, 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 um, you know there's always an upside to, to to things like like streaming i mean i i love spotify you know i i i love being able to access any piece of music that i can think of um on on my phone and you know i i love that um and it does mean that people do get exposed to your music and that they would never um you know, from the radio or any other kind of medium. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very honored when young people like my music. I'm totally um, blown away by it. I just think, oh, it's such an honor, you know, to be liked by a young person.
0: Now, as an artist, how does that affect you when people listen for free? And that's something that we're not used to. You know, when we were younger, you got your album. It was your big, big event. But how's an artist? Is that... Does, have you noticed... Do people may listen to a track for free somewhere and then they'll start buying your stuff? Do you have any insight
1: to that? Um, I really don't know uh, if they if they do. Um, I really don't mind because I, 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 I'm just glad that they've been able to hear it because that's why you make it. You want people to hear the, the work you do. And, uh, you know, I unfortunately, because I get played on the radio so I don't have to worry. I mean, I do worry about artists who do depend on, on that as an income, but what it's doing is changing the emphasis in the music business towards more of a live culture, you know. If you want to hear the artist, if you want to hear new songs from the artist, if you want to really get the good stuff, you've got to go to the show. You know, you've got to be there. You've got to have the experience. And, in a way, isn't that a good thing? Because you know, that's what takes the effort, you know, it takes effort for both parties. The artists have to get off their arse and get out there um, and perform and get on the road and travel in a bus and, you know, go through all that to be there. And then the audience, they have to make all the effort, they have to buy the tickets, you know, they have to get to the venue, they have to, you know, there's effort required on both sides and that's what makes a great Thing happen you know and so maybe a shift towards that maybe maybe you know maybe that's a good thing maybe the importance of the recorded work the value of it is diminished but you know there's an upside which is then people crave you know the real experience so uh, that's, where I'm, that's where i'm that's where my thinking is at the moment i'm not quite you know i'm not quite finished with it but um, that's what at the
0: moment now you know i saw you in 2001 i think it was at the universal yeah. amphitheater and uh my friend knew ringo star you played with ringo's yeah. all-star band what is that yeah. like as someone who grew up listening to the beatles what is that i mean that must be like something that even though all you had all these big successes that must be something yeah. that must hit home because it also shows you're very respected
1: as a musician well it was a great honor to be asked by ringo yeah because i mean I, I don't think he really uh worked with people from my era apart from Sheila E actually Um, but um, it was great and to be asked and you know it felt like you had a a, a direct connection with the greatest band of all time you know music that totally influenced me and I I, I, and it was wonderful travelling with him and all the stories you know talking about John and and and, uh, George and the, yeah, it, it was it was just a mind mind blowing, mind blowingly good. So uh, yeah, I, I and I, I he also used to have me really loud in his mix. He told me, said yeah, oh, I love keyboards, I love your playing. I've got you really loud in my monitors. <laughs> it's like to have Ringo say that to you, you know, it's like it's such a compliment. So I mean, the best thing about that tour was the sound checks where we just got to jam, you know, and. You just realize that Ringo, his feel and his, his unique way of playing is just like so good and so influential on on all drummers, you know, from then on. Well, you know, um, what, and you know, amazing.
0: You know what I loved about that show is that you would all play some hits and you would go around, and me and my friends that went Ooh. to see it were saying that you all looked like you were just having fun. You could tell yeah. you sitting there and these guys, it's just like jamming in the garage when they were a kid, or you playing with the mime on the street. It was just like you guys were just having fun. That must be a great feeling as a performer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. I mean, you know, it was quite, um, I felt quite a bit of pressure, you know, to deliver. Um, Always the keyboard parts, you know, everyone wants you to play everything, the brass, the the strings, the, the, the Hammond. The piano, you know, so you've got to cover all these things. I was a little bit, you know, nervous about getting it all right. Um, But yeah, um, it was it was fun. It was fun. And I particularly enjoyed playing with um, Sheila E. and and, uh, Greg Lake when we did, um, you know, Carnival 9. That was really a highlight for me. That was just amazing.
0: So now, lately, you know, I know you've been touring on the retro tours. How did that come about, Pout? And it must be great because you know it's like the '80s are coming back. Where mm. you also, I know you, 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 your song, things that make it better, mate. You put, uh, mm. you put it out with Cedric Gervais, and that ended up on the mm. dance charts. But it must be great mm. that you're getting a feeling of both worlds right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it is. It's 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 great. Um, you know, it's uh, the I, I'm, I'm kind of you know, that tour we just did the retrofittura tour, I'm quite involved in the development of, of that idea because it's worked so well here in the UK. Um and you know, I, I love the idea of a very eclectic group of, of 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 artists, um, but they come from the same era, but the the all you know, all the music is um, you know, totally different. And it's just fun to tour around, around the country with, with all, you know, 47 people. Um, it's a bit like, you know, it, I can imagine it's like those 60s tours they used to do when they had like seven or eight bands. You know, the Beatles would be on on a package tour going around in the 60s. It's not, it's it's kind of, it, it, it's not um, a new idea, um, but it works really well because the audience gets to see. what I liked best on the Retro Futura was By the end, people were joining each other on stage and jamming with each other. And, you know, guitarists were playing with other bands and people were singing with other people. It was really you got that um, sort of really real community thing going. And I I realized that that's when I do the next one, I want to develop that even more so that there's collaborations built into it, you know, as as part of the thinking.
0: Now, you, you know, for those shows, it's more it's more people. So it's a shorter set, I'm sure. How long were your sets when you played yeah. on
1: Retro? Uh, well, I was doing an hour because I, you know, I, was, I was headlining it. So, so I was um, yeah, doing an hour, which is you know, not too bad. I like to play longer, but you know, that's quite respectable.
0: Now you're starting a new tour in, in, in the States. I know it kicks off uh, the 19th in Rhode Island. Um, mm. Well, what is it like when you, this is just you? It's, is there an opening act or is it just, is, is it you? What's, yeah, what's this be, tour about?
1: Yeah, it'll be just us, and it's the um, you know it's the whole it's the five piece band. So it's really a chance for us to stretch our legs a bit because the band was only formed at the beginning of the summer in this form. So we're still um, developing. So this is a, a great two weeks on the road to develop things even more. Um, you know, getting ready for next year, and it's just you know I mean bands need to play together and let go. Out, Do lots of gigs and this is a chance for us to cover you know, you know, do a good long set and play all the songs and get really um, you know, up to speed.
0: Now when you do a longer like what's a longer set? Are you gonna do an hour and a half, hour forty five or Yeah, 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 hour forty, hour forty
1: five, something like that.
0: Now when you when you plan your set, I'm sure you plan the same set list each night, but how do you plan your encores and how many do you sit there in beginning and say, okay, it's our show now, you know, with retro Futura, I'm sure, you know, you can do an encore, but you know, you have to keep it more condensed because there's a bunch of different acts. Yeah. How do yes. you sit there and perform Like, Do you know that if you're going to do maybe one or two encores or do you sit there and sometimes if the audience is just digging it, will you go back for a third one? How does that work with an artist?
1: <laughs> I usually just do one because, you know, the, by that time it's too late really to go on. Uh, but I, 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 you know, and I, I don't, have, you know, milk it like that, uh, but, <laughs> but, um, I mean, sometimes I don't do an encore because it, it it seems like not appropriate, or we've run out of time, or I don't know, you know, I try not to be too formulaic about it all, um, and make sure that the, each each night is a different set. There's a couple of two or three songs that are different and. Or do them in a different order, a different way. You know, keep everybody um, interested.
0: Now you did a you did a show called Engage. Tell me
1: about that. Um, well, Engage was um, was was a kind of ambitious project. I, I I wanted to do something different again, and it was wasn't conceived as an album. It was conceived as a live show. So I wanted to have pieces of music that weren't you know five minutes long they were all different lengths and they didn't conform to normal song structure i wanted to have some classical music in there so um contemporary like steve reich type stuff some film influenced work and just to do all the things that i i, I love i, I love ballet i love contemporary dance and i love the ballet i wanted to have a ballet piece in there you know uh, I wanted to work with the guy who does videos for me as the music was being written, the videos would be developed as well. So it was an ambitious project um, and I gave myself a year to do it, Um, booked a a venue and, and it all came together. I managed to find choreographers and people to make the films that went with it and got the music done. And yeah, so... I never knew what to call it though cuz you know people it was a lot you know when we put it out there was a audio cd there was a dvd it was what was it was it a live you know a dvd or was it an album it was none of those really it was a it was a live show that we you know that that we captured and um you know made into an album and a, and a and a dvd so um yeah it was it was great fun doing it
0: now, did you play some of your hits or was it just some completely different? And how do you prepare people who come to that show thinking they're just going to see Howard Jones and they see this cool experience, but they're like, wait a second. I thought like I came to see Howard Jones. What's going <laughs> no,
1: on? Well, we did. Well, the first half of the show was was engaged. So and then the second half was more, you know, from, you know, music from the rest of the career. So we, we that's the way we covered that. But I was shocked. Actually, that people enjoyed the new, uh, engaged. They enjoyed that more than they did the familiar stuff in the second half, See, and that's absolutely uh, true. Now, would you um, do, would you do that
0: again? Would you do that show again, or was it a one time and done?
1: Well, it was it, it was quite a big production show. You know, like you know, we needed two very powerful projectors. We needed a, a screen that hung at the front of the stage as well as. A, Green at the back. It was, uh, it was quite. It's quite a, a thing. I mean, it could be taken on the road, um, but um, you know, I did in the end. I did four shows of it, and that would have to be it, really.
0: Telling you, um, Vegas,
1: yeah, Vegas. Yeah, you know, you just you just have to be there. That's <laughs> you have to go to Vegas. That's you know, yeah. That would be a
0: That'd be a huge hit in Vegas
1: because it would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. A Vegas version, and that's. Could be cool
0: a house a house residency you get to stay in the hotel yeah. you go down and play yeah.
1: now after you do all these elaborate you
0: know these great chairs, you also did a, a, a piano tour what is that like because you know you're such you know you yeah. you have your own sound you've influenced people you do this show engage but then you do a, a, a piano tour what's that like is that that must be like just you're bearing everything down you're just stripping everything yeah. how did that come about yeah. how did you decide to do that
1: well I've you know, I've played the piano since I was seven. It's like I don't even have to think about it. It's like walking, you know. So I'm most comfortable when I'm sat at the piano playing and singing. And then, you know, I get a chance to talk and tell some stories and, you know, anecdotes and what the songs are about. I mean, it's really fun to do it. Um, I, I, I And I get to play, you know, really obscure songs from... Uh, you know, albums that people don't even know about. You know, <laughs> it, it's it's um it's really um, it's a great antidote to the band. You know, it, it's very intimate and it's very honest and um you know, there's no frills. It's just the music and me. Um, and it's the most challenging. It's more challenging than 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 than, than doing it with a band because you have to be so on it when you're doing solo, you know, as you know, as a, as a stand-up, you just got, you, there's no place to hide.
0: Right. <laughs> so if you're dying, you're dying. But, but you guys have a piano at least. We got a mic and people are yelling at us. <laughs> so the, yeah. the, the tour coming up in America and then you're going to do, you know, then you're going back, you're going to back with, and yeah. you're working with Men Without Hats, I believe. How do how you become yeah. friends with those guys? Have you known those guys for a long time? Uh, Well,
1: uh, they were on the Retroviturator and we actually toured with them, um, I can't even remember now, we've done lots of gigs with them and we we just love them, you know, they're they're so entertaining and we love the sound they make and uh, we just get on with them very well, so having them on the road with us is just a, a blast.
0: Now, how have you seen crowds change over the years? You know, you've been around. I know I know. for your show, we did, you know, you get a lot of people who love the 80s, but now with resurgence of, you know, DVR and stuff like that, people start watching, you know, the 80s movies, the John Hughes movies, Breakfast Club. They start getting into the music. How, have, you, have you seen your crowd base change, or have you seen it where the same people are coming, but they're bringing their kids who are bringing their kids?
1: Yeah, yeah that's, the big, that's the big difference, is that they're bringing their, their, their kids with them. And you know that the kids have <laughs> had to endure listening to your music their whole life, but they end up liking it. So uh, that's the good bit. Um, so yeah, so so that's good. And you know, as I said before, I, I, I'm. So that it feels like a great achievement, you know, that they come from a different generation and and they get it. So I, I, I'm very very. Um, Happy when I see that out
0: there, you know now over the years how has how has your writing style changed? I mean how do you how does that change as you've grown and you know you went through the Buddhism periods? I know you're a vegetarian, yeah. I believe how does that does that all incorporate in just your overall philosophy because you had a great philosophy to begin with, you had a great view on things, but have you ever uh, yeah. thought about going yeah.
1: cynical maybe at all or no, no, that no, I and no, that that philosophy has has remained. I just hope that I I can articulate things, you know, in a um, better as I've got older. But you know that that thread is always, um, I mean, some yeah. I mean, I, I've written a few songs for films recently, which has been interesting, where I've had a storyline to follow, um, like a narrative, and it's that's been good because um, it kind of gives you. Rather than the song being a, you know, a pure sort of <laughs> philosophical statement, um, you know, you, there's actually a storyline to follow, but uh, which you can weave in, you know, um, you know your kind of slant on it, and uh, yeah. So I've i really i really enjoyed that. So um, I don't know. I I I, I don't know if there's a different approach. I just use the whatever's in front of me, you know, if I'm, if I'm at the piano, I'll write with that. If I've got my studio gear, I'll write with that. I, you know, touring gear, you know, it's just, I don't know. I just use what what's in front of me.
0: And now, is the road still fun for you? I mean, you love, I mean, you gotta love it because your people love you and when you headline yeah. the shows, I mean, I saw you and you had that nice suit. Where? How do you pick your clothes? Because you're a very fine dresser.
1: Well, I, I put a lot of effort into it. I do. I, you know, I, I go around and I visit um, a lot of places to see what's gonna work for me. And I've always made it point of, you know, putting an effort into what you look like on stage. It's, it's fun. It's a great excuse to, for buying clothes. Right. Um.
0: <laughs> and when you were younger, you when you were younger, exactly. you, you're, when you were younger, you yeah. wore a lot of yeah. hats, which is good. Cause I'm, yeah, bald, I'm yeah. a bald
1: yeah, no, there was. The, yeah, there was a hat period, um, um, and that went. That didn't last very long. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in fashion. I always think it's 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 a creative thing, and it's wrapped up in a lot of, you know, a lot of people are very afraid to wear even, you know, a bright color, which is is, is something we need to get over, and we need to, you know, artists can encourage people to. You know to relax on that and and not be afraid you know it, 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 again it's a it's a it's it's a, a like a political statement if you wear a bright orange suit because exactly. <laughs> you're saying to people, "This is okay to do this right and don't be afraid to like i if, you know I'm doing it and i i' I'm, I'm I'm still okay. <laughs>
0: well, see that and you're okay. You know, I, I, I
1: survived I survived <laughs> exactly.
0: the orange. Suit. Exactly. You're you survived it and you have other colors too that are bright. But keep it going alive. You know, I, I wanna thank you for taking your time uh, to talk to me today, Howard. Um I know actually you're playing a half an hour from my house Wednesday, October twenty fifth, so I might try to make it down there. Um, okay, quick. Now, your website is howardjones.com, and we can find all the yeah. information. So, people, go look up Howard Jones. If you don't know his music and you're over 40, you're a moron because you <laughs> have to know his music. And so, people follow him. And now, your Twitter is, or what's your Twitter? Do you know?
1: Uh, it's just Howard Jones. Okay, follow him at,
0: at Howard Jones. People follow me at @CooperTalk. Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. I have over 650 episodes up. Email me at cooper at coopertalk.net. Don't forget, howardjones.com. You get all the info, all the tour dates. I'm Steve Cooper for Walk My Mind. You guys have a great day.